Welcome to Plastic Model Mojo, a podcast dedicated to scale modeling, as well as the news and events around the hobby, where we hope to be informative and entertaining and help you keep your modeling mojo alive. Again, fellow modelers, this is your host, Mike. Dave and I thank you for joining us again for our latest episode. <laughs> I tell you, this COVID thing is turning into a real drag, but uh, the time at the bench, along with all the interaction with our listeners, is keeping Dave and I moving forward. If you haven't taken time to reach out to us, shoot us an email at plasticmodelmojo at gmail.com or jump into one of our Facebook threads. We really enjoy hearing from all of you, but for now, let's get on with episode 18 of Plastic Model Mojo. Hello again, Dave. We're back for another exciting episode of Plastic Model Mojo. Hey, Mike, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing pretty good. My mojo's been in pretty good shape, and I've had a really good night last night. I noticed that. I noticed that. So uh, what modeling fluid do you have in front of you tonight? I have a Wisconsin shot glass full of Rheingeist Truth. Oh, that's a good beer. Out of Cincinnati, right? Yeah, Rheingeist is out of Cincinnati. Truth is a pretty typical IPA. It's a, it's pretty good. I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. This Wisconsin shot glass, though, I'm I'm not sure. I may have to send it back. Why? Uh, I think it's broken. <laughs> Why? <laughs> it goes empty too quick. <laughs> well, it's, yeah. That that depends on the user. That might be a user error. It may be, but yeah. that's okay. <laughs> And what are you into tonight? Well, as a matter of fact, it's kind of funny. Uh, I'm drinking uh, New Belgium's 1985 IPA. It's a mango IPA. Um, I like. The, I've been liking the New Belgium uh, Voodoo Ranger Imperial IPA. And about a year ago, I started drinking Blue Moon's Mango Wheat Beer and really liked it. Turns out that mango is actually a pretty good flavor in a beer, uh, especially, you know, spring, summer, fall type type beer. And so I saw uh, I saw this on the shelf and I thought, well, you know, I like New Belgium's other stuff. I'll give this a shot. And uh, it's pretty darn good. The mango taste is there. You definitely get it, but it's not overpowering. And it's about 6.7% alcohol by volume. So it's got a little more kick than a Bud or, uh, uh, you know, Miller Lite or something like that. But it's not obnoxiously alcoholic. Well, it sounds like you're enjoying that. I don't know if a mango beer I would grab first, but uh, I'd probably give that a shot. Why not? I found it a little surprising. I'm enjoying it. So have we gotten any listeners and listener emails? Yeah, we've got uh, some good ones this week or this episode. I always say week, but uh, <laughs> we're on a bi-weekly cadence. I got to quit doing that. First is uh, from Ethan Gary, and he's an armor guy out of uh, Layton, Utah. We'll forgive him for that. <laughs> <laughs> he says he says uh, he's glad to have a U.S.-based podcast. Uh, we're glad to offer one. He's He's been working on a... Uh, to me, a Vespa, the the German ten yeah. and a half centimeter self propelled gun on on the Panzer II carriage. Well, he bought this kit twenty dollars secondhand, and and now he's through aftermarket. It's it's turned up into a 
$140 project. So, so we, we feel question, you, we feel you, man. His question is uh, aftermarket. How much is too much? But you know, first, before we get too far into that, I, I could tell them that, uh, over the years, there have been at least four different driver's compartment sets offered for that kit. And if he wants to go ahead and kick it up to $170 or $180, uh, just saying, you could, you could do that. Well, you know, that is, a, that is a good question. How much is too much? Partially, it's personal taste. You know, if you want to do an out of the, about half of what I do is out of the box builds. Uh, if you want to do an out of a box build, you're happy with the result more power to you. If you feel like you want to trick something out and you've got the money and the time to put into it and you think that makes you happier with the result, fantastic. That's great. Just the one thing I I think I would warn all modelers is don't feel the need to do it like it's an obligation because that will quickly become a drag on your mojo. It'll it'll suck the mojo out of your modeling if you don't want to do it, but you feel like you have to. I agree with that. And it's, I don't know if I've ever just piled it on just to pile it on. I'm usually, you know, like you say, I'm, I'm after a personal preference or a personal level of uh, detail. I'll I tell you what I'm bad about. I'm bad about buying a bunch of aftermarket and cherry picking it. <laughs> well, that, that, but even that's not bad. Okay, even if you buy it, you know, you can afford it. If you buy it and you only use a couple of pieces out of it while rebuilding the rest or whatever, even that's fine. Makes you happy. Go for it. So I'd suggest he, he carry on with it if it's making him happy then. Send us a picture. Well, he just he sent us a picture of the in progress. I'll have to share that. And uh, we'll be looking forward to more when it's when it's complete so that's right i mean if you're not going broke doing it do whatever you want yeah uh, i don't know how he missed this last time but andrew armstrong out of center point new york we end up skipping his question last time uh-oh so my apologies for that andrew uh but first <laughs> he sent us a picture of a bourbon titled nor'easter from nantucket massachusetts so uh a non-native to Kentucky anyway, a non-resident bourbon. But the barrels sourced for for uh, aging this are from Buffalo Trace Distillery right here down the road from Frankfort, Kentucky. So it's still got a Kentucky tie-in. I don't know. I, I looked. I can't find it down here. I'd like to try it at least. But uh, my, my first impressions are uh, Massachusetts bourbon and Colonel Sanders Court. So <laughs> we'll have to see how it goes. You know, I've got a friend that moved up to Massachusetts. I get him to send me a bottle. There you go. Andrew's question that we missed was, how do we hold our models? Oh, I, I responded to him. Uh, he's talking about holding while you're building and constructing. And, yes. Uh, I gave him a link to, US, to UMM USA. They have a series of laser cut wood and acrylic stands that work really well for aircraft. They're designed pretty much for aircraft, uh, although some of the designs could actually be used for uh, armor or autos or stuff like that. But, uh, uh, and I'm trying to remember, it looks like the brand name is Vertigo. And uh, 
if you go to to USA, just uh, Google search UMM hyphen USA, um, it's a really good uh, online store. He also vends at contests, uh, and he has tons of tools and stuff. And he has these construction stands, and I really like them. Well, that sounds great for aircraft. I guess I'm going to end up buying one of those if I keep going down my rabbit hole. Come into the light. Come into the light. Now, something I tried, and I'm, I'm probably going to use this little contraption I came up with on a, on my future builds once I get back to my wheelhouse of 35th scale armor. Uh, if you remember on the PT-76 I finished this year, uh, I was trying out a lot of the more, well, Again, I say new techniques, but they're not so new anymore. I'm just slow to adopt. And this was going to ha- require handling the model a lot. And I, I know how that usually ends up, right? You, <laughs> yeah. You, gl- you, you gloss over paint, you rub it off high points. And so I, I took a slab of, uh, I had a scrap of two by six in the garage and I cut about an inch off the end of it and I drilled a hole through it and then countersunk the hole and I put a quarter inch hex bolt through there and then on on the other side where it comes out the other side i've got a stack of uh, various big fender washers and between them some rubber washers and what i did was i drilled a hole in the bottom of the pt-76 and then i can take off a couple of these washers and slip it over and then screw it back down through the through the turret ring opening Mm -hmm. and i've got this slab of wood i can hold on to and in addition, wh- wh- where it got real handy was I could, I've got a, a vice I can clamp to the end of, it's not, it's a, not a permanently mounted vice. I have a vice I can take on and off of my workbench. Right. It's got a clamp, a clamp on it and I can, it's one of those articulated ones. I can turn it any which way within right. a certain limit, but I can clamp this block of wood in there and I can have this, the vehicle that's on this mount oriented vertically with the bow pointing straight up, or I can lay it over on its side with the running gear in the vertical orientation and do a lot of those weathering techniques and things and not have to actually physically touch the model. Uh, and that that helps to be able to get whatever surface you happen to be working on uh, horizontal to the plane of gravity, just so that you know, you if you're run, using a pin wash or something like that, that it will run the way you want it to. You can you can tilt it so that whatever surface you're working on, you can can get it to behave the way you want it to. So this worked out really nice, and I'm I'm probably going to make another one that uses a smaller bolt. Uh, the PT seventy six kind of had a big bottom on it, so you could. You can't see the hole I drilled in it. Right. Or you could just, you could slab it over, I guess, at the end. But um, I think it's a little bit of an overkill. I think I could get by with like an eighth inch. So who's next? Luis Diaz, our friend from Florida. Uh, he just sent us a follow-up email regarding uh, the info we sent him on uh, using Mission Models paints. I forwarded him the links off of uh, the, help me out, what's his name? Uh, John Miller Model Paint Solutions. Yes, I, I, I sent him the uh, web links to John Miller's Model Paint Solutions, and he put the information there to task, and he successfully finished his 48-scale Spitfire in uh, Mission Models Paints. Good. Uh, Craig 
Everson from Sydney, Australia. All right. Down under. Credits us in part to his return to the bench. Now, hopefully he's listened to his countrymen down there as well and our Canadian friends. But uh, he sent us some questions about kits. Uh, he's got some family connections that have inspired a couple of builds he's got planned. One is a, a PBY Catalina, as his grandfather was a Royal Australian Air Force mechanic on PBY. And then he had an uncle also in the RAF that flew P-40s in North Africa. R-A-A-F. Uh, yes, R-A-A-F. I said it, I said it fast. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, of course, I gave him the recommendations for the one true scale that there are good kits of both the PBY and the P-40E in 72nd scale with the special hobby kit and the academy kit. So although there are in, there are good kits in other scales, which we won't talk about, but uh, (laughs) if you want, if he wants to go 72nd, we, we shot him some recommendations. Yes. And I provided him the scale or scale mates links to, uh, at least the 48 scale, because he already had a 48 scale P40, but it was one that is a kit that's a little long in the tooth, actually. Right. Uh, yeah. But I don't know if he was familiar with scale mates or not, but he can take those links and, you know, get 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 the backstory on a lot of the kits that are out there now that may be old and, and, and the ones that are new as well. Well, and one thing we mentioned in our exchanges with him, email exchanges, something I mentioned to him because uh, uh, I kind of became – cognizant of it from you was he talked about having a grandfather and an uncle who who were uh, in the service during wartime. And I urged him to go ask his relatives to find out if either of them took photos during the war. And, you know, a lot of times, if you're not really into it like you or I, these family photos just get stuffed in a box or put in an album and basically are lost to time. Whereas if those of us who have this interest, when we discover somebody whose relative was in the war or, you know, who, who served, it's always a good idea to ask them, you know, did they take pictures? Do we have any pictures from their times of service? And there are some real finds to be found. You you mentioned, I think, many episodes ago about watching German eBay and all of these photographs that are surfacing as veterans expire and their grandkids are going through their stuff and finding boxes full of old photos. Yeah, hopefully he'll find something. And boy, a shot of his uncle on his P-40 would be pretty cool. (laughs) Be fantastic. Well, that's it for the listener mail this episode. One of the things I love about doing the podcast uh, uh, is the interaction with the people out there. So I want to thank you all for doing that. Um, While you're at it, as you're listening to this podcast, when you're done, if you wouldn't mind taking a moment and going to whatever service you use, iTunes or Apple, whatever, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, whichever app you use, just go in and give us a five-star rating. It helps the algorithms drive us to be more noticeable so that more people will find us. Um, 
We've been experiencing some growth in our listenership lately, and we'd kind of like that to continue. So if you all would do that, I would appreciate it. And I'd also appreciate it if you're out there, if you're not a member of your national IPMS chapter, uh, this is particularly for those who are in the United States, uh, I want you to join IPMS USA. Uh, go to ipmsusa.org. Join up. It's a great organization. Uh, it provides a lot of services to modelers, a lot that aren't always apparent, but that national organization provides us a framework that gives us a whole lot. So if I'd consider it a favor if you'd go and you join. And if you're outside the United States, join almost every country has an IPMS national chapter. Please consider joining. And in addition to joining your local or national organization and sending us more listener mail and engaging with us, we'd also like you to check out our fellow podcast, uh, Scale Model Podcast out of Canada with Stuart and Anthony. Their episode 52 dropped this past week, and they're, they give a rundown of the origins of all the primary scales we, we typically model in and some we don't typically model in. And then uh, On the Bench out of Australia is up to episode 90, and they're rolling up on episode 100. So that's that's going to be exciting. Uh, yeah. This episode, they, they discuss uh, why they build. But back to the episode 100. Um, uh, episode ago, they were wondering what they might do to honor this. You know, that's kind of a big deal. You know, if I think Dave ought to fly us all down to Australia for the 2021 Australian Model Expo. I think that's a great idea. I think that the uh, and then we could do a joint podcast, all of us there live in Australia for the hundredth episode. If he'll pay, I'll gladly fly coach. I've, I've flown to China coach. I've flown to China coach twice. Each <laughs> time, each time back with a newly adopted little girl. So let me tell you, there, there's no flying that I fear. Well, it's time for countdown to Vegas. All right. Where are we? Well, I got a brief note from Bob Provado, the contest chairman this week. And, you know, after the initial swell, we're kind of in that trough again. There's not a whole lot to report right now. We're about 374 days away. So we're getting close to a year to the day. The national contest website is closing in on 3,000 visitors. They have sold out of the $89 room nights for the duration of the show. Uh, the Rio states that they will honor the $89 for the weekday, the weekday portion of the stay, uh, just for a short time only going forward. So, uh, I guess that's a, a Wednesday and Thursday. Wednesday you might still be able to get yeah. the eighty nine dollars, but Friday, Saturday, uh, who knows what they're going to charge? I don't know what their normal rate is. If you've if you've never eaten at the Rio Seafood Buffet, it is famous out in Vegas. So. Uh, I, I can assure you we are going to have a good time out there. That's a fantastic facility. So they were also reaching out to some of the other resorts to see if something could be garnered uh, at a d different resort, but uh, no news on that yet. Uh, they've, Bob says he's, they've added several big vendors to the, uh, to the lineup, uh, but those are all listed on the web, website, so I encourage you to go there and look. I won't run down those. And they have a couple of uh, demonstrations and seminars to add. One is Grex Airbrush, which makes a lot of shows. Yeah. Um, we'll be doing an airbrush demonstration of their product line. But one that's a little more interesting, I think, uh, 
to a to broader audience might be there's a group of uh, Hollywood set and model and prop design designers and model makers are going to do a presentation. And uh, this group uh, has under their belt movies like the Titanic, Star Trek, or not sure which one, but a Star Trek movie or multiples and the hunt for Red, Red October. That's so, fantastic. Th- that could be interesting. That'd be very interesting. And by the way, speaking, speaking of that, uh, if you attend the nationals, people don't take, in, in my opinion, people don't take enough advantage of the seminars. The seminars are the hidden gems of the nationals. And if you get to go to the nationals, everybody wants to go in, look at the models, wants to go in and spend their money in the vendor room. Try and take a little time to attend some of the uh, seminars and presentations. You, you will not regret it. All right. So until we hear more from Bob, that's it for uh, Countdown to Vegas. So, Mike, uh, not that everybody doesn't already know because they've been watching uh, your almost hourly posts on our Facebook page, but uh, what's your benchtop been like? Well, despite what I've been posted on the Facebook page, in general, I've, I've slowed down a bit since the spring, just not to sound like a broken record, but speed is not my strong point anyway. The summer goings on have uh, taken a minor toll, at least, on my activities, but, but not terrible. I, I've, I've found a, some good time here recently. Uh, on the E16 Paul, I've got the dive brakes installed on the uh, primary float struts, and they look fantastic. Um, tickled pink, the way those turned out. They do. They look great. So it makes me makes me wonder what I'm going to be doing next in the homebrew photo etch, so we'll see. Uh, so now... Since I got that bit of it done, I've been working on the exhaust flares on the engine cowling, and this has been a complete fiasco. <laughs> In what way, Mike? This this kit has 14 individual exhaust flares for the cowling. Yeah. And in, in my efforts, well, first off, I, I drilled them all out because they're all solid cast with big flat blank ends on them. And that went pretty well, but then I managed to lose the same one, not once, but twice. So I found it the first time, and then the second time I put it into orbit again, and yeah, it's gone now. So it's not gone. You'll you'll find it the, the moment you you uh, make the repl- hand make the replacement item. You'll find it, you know, right after you've attached the replacement to the to the kit. Well, I actually have a second kit, so <laughs> I've learned the hard way. I, I don't know that I've completed a project. Gosh, in the last several builds, made you know big big projects. The PT-76 is, is no excuse. The, the, the SIG-33 self-propelled gun I built before that was no exception. All of these have parts from more than one kit in them because of uh, mishaps and disasters. But I, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to take these out of the second kit. I'm going to make a plaster mold and when I, you know, a rigid mold that I can heat up sprue and jam it down in because they're just, they're really simple shapes. Sure. And I think I can make a simple mold and, and I can lose them till the cows come home and I'll still have one to put on the airplane. Well, and that'll give you, uh, that'll give you a chance to try out, uh, uh, squash molding. Yeah. I haven't done it in a long time. I've done it. I've made some bolts and rivet heads that way in the past, but this will be a good refresher. In addition to that, uh, I've been working on the seat belts for the, the, the seats in the cockpit. Uh, these things are paper, so I'm kind of using water and PVA to shape them. And then I'm going to go back with enamel paints and, and paint them 
because the the rest of the cockpit's painted in acrylics and any overpaint onto the seats or whatever I get with enamel or oil paints, I can take thinner and, and clean it up. Gotcha. And make it look neat again. That makes perfect sense. And in addition, I've after the exhaust flare fiasco, I kind of put that aside for a little while. <laughs> and I broke, broke out the Morris tractor again, and I've got it back in the paint booth. Uh, I got the uh, the tilt top all masked off, and I did the shading and highlight painting of the base color. Took the mask off, really clean lines. looks 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 good. Yeah. And then I used the new use the use the new circle cutter to cut wheel masks for the the tractor tires, and got those sprayed last night as well. So I'm about ready to start start the weathering on that. Fantastic! It's looking good. I, I saw the paint, uh, the pictures you posted after you peeled the masking away, and it looks really good. So, what are you doing? Well, uh, I'm driving myself insane. Uh, I'm kind of in a building mood. I've got the the bibber has been painted, and it's ready for me to start. I wanted the one of the things. Every time I build a kit, I want to try one or more new techniques, new approaches, new something. Because uh, for me, part of this is is trying new stuff to try and get better and better each time. And one of the things on the bibber that I was going to do or am going to do is uh, I'm a, a devotee of Night Shift uh, and his YouTube videos and uh, particularly his chipping technique. And uh, so I was going to do it on the bibber, but uh, I haven't quite gotten up the courage to do it. And I'm kind of in a, in a construction mood. You know how sometimes your mood shifts back and forth regarding what you actually want to do, uh, painting, construction, whatever. And so I... Yeah. I started working on the M30 again. Uh, I've got all the main, I've got the main uh, breech and barrel all assembled. Um, I'm just about to tackle the sight, uh, which once again, by the way, convinces me that scale doesn't matter as par- as far as part size goes. Um, the sight piece for this M30 is somewhere around 12 pieces and every one of them is as small or smaller than the exhaust flare that you were working on. So <laughs> every one of them. That's small. That's small. And yeah, I, that's small. I'm, I'm here to tell you, I do think that, you know, people who say, oh, I can't build in 70 second scale. It's too, the parts are too small or it's too small. No, they're not. They're the exact same. The, you, you have parts that are just as small in a 35th scale artillery kit as you do a 72nd scale aircraft kit. So I'm, I'm facing the, the prospect of putting the site together. And uh, then at that point, I'm going to break out the thinner line because I've got the Hussar uh, aftermarket wheels primed. And now I I need to paint the hubs, and then I'm going to use the thinner line to cut masks for them. So I'll be consulting you in regard to that. And uh, Those will be a lot bigger than the ones I cut. Yes, uh, significantly larger. Even the ones for the the limber, 
are going to be significantly larger than the ones you cut for your little 76 scale uh, airfix kit. But that's about it. Well, that's not bad. Yeah. Um, so uh, since we've been building, have we been buying? What have you uh, bought lately that's broken your wallet? Another 72nd scale airplane, actually. Yes. Yes. I bought a Curtis SOC3 Seagull in 72nd scale by Hasegawa. Moldy oldie, literally a moldy oldie. Mm-hmm. Box was all foxed and yellowed and <laughs> all, all that. But uh, it was really probably the original boxing. It had a, a dried up tube of uh, Hasegawa model glue inside yep. of it. Yep, that's it. But anyway, I got it on the cheap on, on eBay because I, I I knew it was an old kit. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, the nice thing is it's it's an old kit, but it's a great base kit. Um, and there's a lot of good Starfighter makes a lot of good aftermarket for it. Um, there's a lot of good decals. You can build one as the, uh, uh, I think the USS Louisville, the cruiser from World War II, actually uh had one of those on it. And I think there's actually decals out there for it. Well, I'd, I'd planned on doing the USS Augusta, which was uh, the headquarters ship for Operation Torch. Mm-hmm. And that was going to allow me to do the, the gray scheme, which I think is the Atlantic scheme. Yes. On the aircraft, which also yeah. has the, the yellow ringed, the, the, the yellow ringed national insignia on the airplane. But you'd suggested the Louisville and probably had this plane unless they upgraded to something else. Yeah, I'm, a while. A, I'm positive it did in the late 30s, uh, early 40s. It, it would have been a yellow wing and yep. a silver body plane probably. So, so I guess I'm going to have to get another one. Yes, you will. You will. <laughs> uh, they, I am one of the things I'm enamored of is the yellow wings period of the U.S. Navy. And there's lots of great photographs of those aircraft, uh, uh, I built an F4, I took an F4, Hasegawa F4, converted it to an F4, F3 using some aftermarket and painted it up uh, in the yellow wings. And the Wildcat was just coming in at the end of the yellow wings era. But I have a bunch of models which are, uh, in my mind, when they get built, they're they're going to get a yellow wings finish. I would love to have a yellow wings collection. It's funny you mentioned Starfighter decals because uh, in the in my mailbox in a few days will be the resin cockpit set, the PE rigging set, and the Operation Torch decals for this Hasegawa SOC three. Mark is a good, great guy. He puts out some really good stuff, and I can tell you from having used them, his decals are fantastic. In addition to the Seagull, I bought a mini art. Gaz AAA with quad maximum machine gun. I love that. Been eyeing this kit for ages. So I I picked this one up on the cheap on Facebook. Not real cheap, but uh, price plus shipping was was pretty good. Oh, man, it's scary, though. It's a big box of plastic. This is not a tank, right? It's, it's a truck yeah. with a machine gun in the back. Four machine guns in the back, right? Well, four machine guns in the back. But, but still, this thing has 700 parts. I believe it. It's a bit nightmarish knowing uh, what I know after building the Zis 2 <laughs> from the same maker. I well, can only imagine what these what, the, what these full interior T-34 kits are like. Oh, my God. I guess we're going to get a chance to see. Um, I've always thought that the four 
the four Maxim machine guns on that anti-aircraft mount was just super cool. And I've seen several builds of, of that mount, not always in the back of a truck, but uh, of several different builds over the years of that. And it's just wicked looking. It just, I mean, it, it's one of those things that immediately draws your attention. So I can't wait for you to do that. Well, it's probably going to be a while. Not if we speed up the building. Come on. Yeah. Well, you know, it's part of our goal here. That's a low bar for me. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I got, I haven't bought them yet, but I've got a couple more float planes. I want to pick up. I'll probably be done with that for a while. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm looking for the uh, the Azure Loire 130, yeah, and the Super Supermarine Walrus from Valum, yeah. Now the the Loire 130 I've got a line on. If anybody's got the uh, the Valum Walrus, uh, drop us a note because that one's kind of gotten tough to find. Uh, I might have to check my stash. It is possible that I've got one in my stash. If I do, I'll send it your way. But uh, if not, somebody else out there has one, let Mike know. Have you picked up anything lately? Well, let me tell you a story. <laughs> no, I haven't, although I'm I'm considering breaking my wallet. But uh, recently I celebrated my 59th birthday, and uh, I was actually celebrating it uh, by, I was down sipping on some fine Kentucky liquid. Um, and I was in my model closet where, where at least a portion of my stash is stored. And I was looking around and I was rearranging the stash. I was trying to group stuff and move it because I moved in two years ago and I'm f- we're still, we still have boxes that are not unpacked. We still have, my model room is still disorganized. So I'm in there sipping a fine bourbon, moving stuff around to try and group it by subject matter or whatever. And every model I pull out, I pull out and I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh God, yeah, I want to build that. And, you know, oh yeah, I really want to build that. And at some point, it struck me, given my current pace of building, that there are a lot of these kits that I really want to build that I'm probably not going to get to do. And it was a little bit sad. Not I wasn't feeling bad for myself. I was actually, and I know this sounds stupid, but it's true, I was feeling bad for the kit. <laughs> That you know, because you know, it's a model kit. It's supposed to get built. Unadopted pup. Exactly, exactly. So that being said, I'm trying to restrain myself a little bit from buying new kits. Um, having had that realization hit me pretty hard, it's uh, keeping me from just randomly going out and acquiring new stuff. But I am taking a serious look at. Uh, RP Tools, T-O-O-L-Z, out of Hungary. Uh, they make a bunch of punch and die sets and grab handlers and some other uh, uh, stuff. But they also make uh, a cutter, a chopper. Uh, I think you've got the, what was it, Northwest Scale Models Chopper 2? 
Yeah, Northwest Short Line. North, Northwest Short Line Chopper too. Well, this one's made out of anodized aluminum. It has very tight tolerances, uh, which I've got. I've got an old Chopper One or a knockoff Chopper One, and the problem, of course, is that you know it's it's made very cheaply out of cheap materials. It's got very loose tolerances, uh, a lot of play in all the parts so that you don't necessarily get uh, the types of cuts you want. Um, But this thing from RP Tools out of Hungary is really, really, it's anodized aluminum. It's got very tight tolerances. The reviews of it are fantastic. Now, on the downside, it is not cheap. That is that is a downside to it, but in a lot of cases, you get what you pay for as far as quality with tools go. Many years ago, I remember you and Mac having a discussion over paying for good tweezers or getting the cheap ones where the jaws don't exactly meet. So, uh, you know, I'm not. I'm a little hesitant, but. Um, I'm thinking I'm going to pull the trigger. So if anybody out there has one of these things or used one of these RP tools cutters, let me know and let me know what you think of. Well, our special segment tonight's a little bit different. Yeah, that's saying something. Well, we've had a more than one person ask kind of our background and how we came to be friends and our modeling journey overlap and all that. And I thought we had just try that on for size. I am I am amazed that anybody is interested in this, but you know, uh, we've had the question from quite a number of people, so apparently there are some there is actually some interest in it. Well, were these two faceless guys on the on the internet, right? <laughs> faceless is about the nicest thing that's ever been said about me. Well, going back uh how did you get into scale modeling and what was your first kit? This this is a weird story. Now, when I was young, I know I built uh, models. I distinctly remember building a couple of Aurora uh, forty eight scale tanks with the vacuform bases. I also remember getting for one birthday a thirty second scale Ravel Huey helicopter the one where the box top has it flying over a bridge that's collapsed into the water. Um, But I can actually tell you the date that I got into modeling in a serious way in 72nd, in my, in my preferred subject matter of 72nd scale aircraft. And I have no idea why I remember this, but I remember it so distinctly. I can tell you the date. I can tell December 8th, 1974. I was 13 years old. I was a, a World War II history nerd, particularly aircraft. I was in Oxmoor Mall with my family. We were doing like pre-Christmas shopping or whatever. And there was a KB Toys in Oxmoor. Uh, or no, it might even have been Thorn. It was still Thornsbury's toys back then, in uh, in the Oxmoor Mall, and it was December eighth, nineteen seventy four, and there was a Ravel uh, uh, P four B Y one, the B twenty four that uh, was operated by the Navy, 
It's a Ravel kit, uh, blue over white scheme. Uh, and I asked my father if I could get it. And he pointed out, of course, that it was very close to Christmas. But, you know, uh, my uh, my father was a great guy, is a great guy. And, uh, you know, said, yeah, sure, you can go ahead and get it. And that is the first 72nd scale aircraft model I bought. I remember building it. Uh, I many, many, actually about two or three years ago, I actually went and found from a kit collector that exact kit in that exact box that I remember it. Because on the box, there's a, a, a illustration of the beat of the aircraft uh, just after it's attacked a German U-boat. Or it could be a Japanese submarine. It's a submarine of some sort. And I found the exact boxing I bought. And I've been building mainly 72nd scale aircraft ever since. Not always limited to World War II, but, and I have no idea why I remember that date. And I rem, but I remember everything about that so vividly. It's, you know, uh, it's weird, but I do. How about you? Well, mine was near Christmas as well. And it was a, you remember the old Sears and JC Penney Christmas catalogs you get about two weeks before Thanksgiving. Oh God. Yes. Which show up, which show up in the mail and you rifle through those things up until it's too late for anybody to buy anything from them for Christmas. You listeners have no idea what he's talking about. Believe me. <laughs> Some of them do. Maybe some old guy hobby. Yeah. Well, they had some model kits in there and there was a, well, at the time it was the seventies, not quite 74. It might've been 74. I don't remember the year, but it it was a F4 Phantom in, in the scheme for the, the blue angels aerobatic team. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why, but I decided I wanted that for Christmas from somebody. And on Christmas morning at my grandfather's house, I open up this big box and it's a monogram B24 Liberator, which was the picture <laughs> right next, which was the picture right next to the, the blue angel. But, the, you know, when I looked at it, it was, it was kind of, it was okay. Yeah. And my dad, my dad and I built that over the rest of Christmas break, probably a little longer. And that, that was the first thing I ever built or, or helped build. I don't know how much I actually built that one, but everything after that was all me. You know, I, I went on a tear of most of Monogram's 48 scale fighter planes. Yeah. And some 72nd scale thrown in the mix. And I, I built a lot of, a lot of aircraft, a lot of Ravel 72nd scale, a lot of Airfix 72nd scale. Uh, th- that's kind of what got me into the hobby. You mentioned your first serious kind of serious turn being that kit. It's still kind of early. So I wonder if you didn't have another turn later, but we were on vacation. We would go on vacation with several other families every, every summer. And uh, we would stop at this particular restaurant about an hour after our drive started for breakfast. And this place was in Asheville, North Carolina and it had a right next to their, their airport and it had this huge newsstand, just thousands of different magazines. And I, and I picked up 
a copy the very first time I'd ever seen it in my life. I was 13, 12, 14, something like that. Uh, the old Carson's publications, military modeler. And from that point on, it was 35th scale armor all day, every day. So, so that's, that's how I got into, in, into my, in my main wheelhouse of, of 35th scale armor. There's an early memory I have during the aircraft phase of, uh, you mentioned kits and box arts. Uh, I, I built a Ravel 72nd scale F4 Phantom on my grandparents' dining room table or kitchen table. And it was the box art with the, the F4 taken off in the lightning storm. Yeah, I remember it. You remember that one? Yep. <laughs> P- pretty awful kit, but I didn't care back then. Well, we also have been asked, you know, how we became friends. And clearly it's the Military Modelers Club of Louisville. Absolutely. Um, over, over the years, we've had plenty of road trips to the IPMS National Convention, various invitationals, regional shows. AMPS. Uh, Chicago, a- AMPS National <laughs> Show, Chicago Figure Show. Yeah. And we, we've probably talked about this once before, but we rode up to Chicago one time together. And, and I, I think we had both come to the mutual conclusion that we were tired of the eight sweaty modelers to the hotel room kind of model road trip. <laughs> Hey, now, wait a minute. Don't make it sound like that. <laughs> well, it's not like that, but uh, everybody going on the cheap and, you know, yeah, beds full, people on the floor, people on the couch or chairs or whatever. And uh, we went up to that Chicago show together and we we split a hotel room and, yep. you know, we've, we've got the story. That's that was the the. Uh, was before our first dates with our, our future wives. Right. We, we were coming home. We left the Chicago figure show late on Saturday because you and I both had to get home to have our first date on the next day, Sunday, uh, with our with the women who became our wives later. Uh, I can almost tell you the date. It was October... 1986. Not 86. No. I'm sorry, 96. Sorry, didn't mean to do that to you. October 1996. And uh, if you've never been to the Chicago Figure Show, it is well worth going. Um, It's it's a fantastic uh, show. Chicago's really kind of a neat place. but yeah, no, I, I I distinctly remember that one. We're riding all back together after the show because we were trying to get home because we both had dates the next day. Now another another activity that's that's fostered this over the years is uh, we shared the duties of the club newsletter for a while. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I've been doing and, the newsletter off and on for thirty years, and we actually uh, took. Uh, Newsletter of the year. Yeah, absolutely we did. <laughs> in so, fact, I think you've got the award in your house somewhere. Yeah, I do. I know exactly where it is. Do you no want to have it for a while? <laughs> no, that's all right. You can keep it. But you can po- <laughs> take a picture of it and po- po- post it with this episode. Okay, I'll do that. Do you remember? I mean, obviously we met through the club. Do you, now I've been in the club. I've been in MMCL since 1980, so 81, 82. 
do you remember when you first came into the club? Because I know that's where we met, but I can't remember the specific instance. It, it would have been it would have been like nineteen eighty eight. Okay, but because I I had come to Lexington from Tennessee as an engineering intern at IBM IBM Lexington, and I came to an MMCL show that was advertised in fine scale modeler that just happened to be going on during the time I was in Lexington. That 88 would have been a re or one of the regionals that we held. I'm pretty sure I'd have to go back and look at the awards, but I met, I met Brian Bunger, the owner of scale reproductions of that show. And I, I'd never been to Louisville at all up until that point. So that, that proved that the, the commute was not too bad. So I, I started coming to, to the club meetings I would have been that guy that was there for like three months and you didn't see him for six. And then I'd be there for three months and then you didn't see me for six. But after I moved up here, I, you know, I, I just joined the club and was, was very active for a number of years. Now I, I remember meeting you in the club, but I just didn't remember exactly when that occurred. So I know part of the answer to this next question, people have asked it and I know part of the answer, but, uh, what gets your model juices flowing? What gets your mojo going? I know one of the things is you and I decided to do this podcast. Uh, you had the idea to do it uh, partly to keep yourself motivated once you you got back into modeling and got really fired up. That, and I think it really does. I, I will tell you that, that the interactions with the listeners and all that really does help keep me motivated. But other than the this podcast, what else gets your mojo really going? I like solving construction problems, technical problems. That's that's the part of it I really enjoy to a point, you know, like when you lose the same part twice, that's kind of <laughs> makes you want to push things push things back for a little while. <laughs> but uh, you know, like on this E16 Paul I want to try this technique. Well, here's an opportunity to do it. So I, I go through the steps and uh, I figure it out and I do it. And it's very rewarding. Um, picking subjects is kind of plays into that as well. I, I like to pick a subject. A lot of times it'll be a, a photograph or a series of photographs or, or a particular event. Rarely do I see just a, a, a kit, a kit in the wild, if you, if you will, and say, Ooh, I want to build that. There's, there's usually more to it than that. Um, I'm usually seeking out the subject after I've already identified it. Gotcha. Not that that's so even if I'm, even when I'm buying stuff, typically uh, I've already got something in mind that's, that's pretty well thought out before I even make the purchase. Even as a brand new kit, I may have have something in my mind that makes me, makes me want to buy it because I know I've seen something in the past or this, this build offers um, maybe a particular challenge or something that uh, I'm interested in completing. Well, I've got that on my, uh, my list as well. What will get you going? Well, uh, I will, in addition to this podcast and the interaction with you and the, the listeners, um, I'll tell you one of the things that gets me motivated is um Going to the IPMS Nationals, I usually come home from a Nationals 
every year really fired up to build uh, because I go there and I interact with friends, uh, particularly many of the people that, you know, I interact with online, but don't get to see as much. Um, but you go to the nationals and you see such great models. It just really gets you motivated to build. Um, same thing with local contests. I mean, not just not quite as intense, but still where you go and, you know, uh, you see friends that don't live in the same town as you, but you, you know, they're the people you see at all the model contests. You get a chance to catch up. You get to see their latest work in person. They get to see yours. You get to go out and have a beer and, and interact and, you know, there's a an idea that modeling is, you know, a solitary and lonely hobby. And it is, it is in some respects. There's no question that it is in some respects. But, you know, almost all of my best friends are my modeling friends. Uh, I've made more friendships through modeling than through almost anything else. And, you know, my friend's modeling inspires me too. That gets my mojo going. When one of my friends finishes a model and it looks really great and they've really, you know, they've, they've, they've finished and they've achieved and all, that gets me fired up to do it as I want to do it. And then it kind of becomes self-fulfilling. Uh, one of the things that gets my mojo going is finishing a model. If I'm decently pleased with it, then, you know, it's like, that's great. Let's do the next one. Absolutely. You know, another thing we started, now this this started, there were some years that you actually worked in Lexington and made the commute and we had lunch like yes. once a week for several years. Taco Bell. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was one, there had to be one or two Taco Bells. I don't think so. Uh, but but anyway, we, we we used to do these top ten lists. Oh yes, <laughs> and th and those lists all, all got me thinking about projects. And and what we would do is I would think of ten projects I had in mind and the kits I might use to accomplish them. And you'd do the same. And you'd rank your own one to ten. I'd rank mine one to ten. Then we'd trade lists, and then we'd rank each other's list one to ten and see see how they paired up. It was interesting. Uh, they didn't, they didn't pair up very often. No, they didn't, but it was always a, a good conversation as to why, why would you pick that? And why would you do it this way? And what are you thinking? And, and yeah. uh, it, it always, it was always, it was kind of like a brainstorming event at work or, or something like that, you know? Um, yeah. Always made for good conversation. It did. And it all, you know, one of the things it, it made you rethink after I sent you my list that was ranked one to 10 and it would come back to me with number, you know, eight being your number one and my number one being your number nine. And it come back to me. And it, then we talk about it and of course exchange back and forth. And it really kind of got you to think, well, you know, this is, why do you like this? Why are you, what is it about this particular build? And I, what I always found is because you're an engineer and a lot of the, for you, a lot of the model building process is problem solving and, 
you know, uh, creative solutions to challenges. What I always enjoyed with your lists and what you were trying to do was sometimes you were picking items specifically because they presented you a particular challenge that you wanted to overcome. You wanted to say, can I solve this problem? And I always found that pretty fascinating. And you always had a lot of crazy schemes. Yes, that's right. That's right. Obscure obscure air forces. Yes. Small air forces are one of my many things that I, that I have a particular interest in. And, uh, you know, I've always said to my wife, uh, the long-suffering model wife, that when you look at my stash of a thousand kits or so, you can point to any box and I can tell you exactly what, why I have that and what scheme I wanted to build it in, what markings I wanted to build every single kit in. And one of the things that motivates me is color schemes and markings and the historical significance of that particular prototype aircraft. Well, I don't know if that's going to answer everybody's questions about how this relationship came to be, but that's a little bit about our history together. Yeah, probably more than most of you wanted to know, but that's that's uh, that's where we came from. That'll wrap up our special segment tonight. All right. Well, uh, Mike, uh, since we're coming down to the end here, do you have a shout out or two? I've got one shout out. Okay. Uh, this is from a recent order I placed. Uh, it was is through eBay, but they do a straight up direct business as well. It's Burbank's House of Hobbies in Burbank, California. Now I've was hot to get my hands on some uh, Albion alloys tubing. Now, for those who may or may not know, Albion Alloys is a, is a company based out of the UK, and they make a lot of uh, tubing and square and round rod shapes and and uh, angle iron type shapes, L girder type shapes. But they're all really small, like oh, like three millimeters and under. So yeah. I, I was after Albion Alloys tubing in both aluminum and brass from one millimeter down to a half. So they offer, they offer telescoping tubing sizes. You get like three to a pack that will, the next one will fit inside the one before. And they're like for brass, there'll be, there's two part numbers and one will have the even increments, one millimeter 0.8.6 or 0.6.4 or something like that. And the other one will be the odds. It'll be, or nine, five or nine, seven and five like that 0. 0.97, 0. 0.9, 0. 0.7, 0. 0.5. But anyway, I, I, they had everything I wanted. So I ordered it through them and I placed an order on Tuesday and it arrived on Saturday, which nice. for California is pretty, pretty good. And there was a 10% off uh, coupon code uh, business card on the inside. So that's the way you do it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know that I did. I'd done business with Burbank's House of Hobbies before, but I, I can tell you when I need some kind of supplies like this, at a minimum, um, I'm certainly going to check them out first and see what they've got to offer because uh, that that was really fast. And then the, the the coupon code was a nice surprise once I opened the box. 
So that's my shout out, Burbank's House of Hobbies. You got one? Yeah. Uh, well, as a matter of fact, going back to the discussion about that RP tools cutter, um, as I mentioned there in Hungary, uh, I took a look around to see if I could source the item from one of their distributors here in the United States. And while Sprue Brothers carry some of their stuff and some other hobby shops carry some of their stuff, nobody actually carried that cutter. And, uh, of course, because of the pandemic and everything else, you know, uh, some company, some places aren't shipping into some countries. And so um, I went on to RP Tools website, found the contact email and emailed uh, the folks and said, listen, I'm interested in this. Are you all shipping to the, are you having any delays? Are you shipping to the U.S.? And if so, how? And uh, got a reply back probably in less than an hour, hour and a half, letting me know that they had the items in stock, that they were shipping, they were doing business and shipping right now. They could ship into the U.S. and the methods that they did it. Um, very good customer service for uh you know, to, for international out there, sometimes that's real hit and miss. But uh, uh, I was impressed and it gave me a little more confidence that, uh, yeah, I may want to go ahead and reach out and, and, and purchase this, uh, this item. So my shout out is to RP Tools for uh, uh, quick, very quick responses. Uh, I would throw in a second shout out there kind of for you, uh, uh, Mark Tutin at uh, uh, Starfighter. He's a real good uh, guy, runs a real good operation. And I know when you get those decals and those resin uh, pieces and the photo etch from him, you're going to be very, very pleased. He's he's a great guy. Um, so if if you're interested, particularly in... World War II and Pacific stuff, take a look, uh, Starfighter decals, go Google them, and uh, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Well, I should know in a few days, and yep. I'll, let everybody, I'll let everybody else know. That sounds fantastic. I think we're coming to the end here, Mike. I, I think we are, Dave. So there's so many kits. And so little time. Talk to you later. Thank you.